I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we read that in Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 11, and as we summarize and confess that in Lord's Day 34 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This Lord's Day begins the explanation of the Ten Commandments and therefore has the title, The Ten Words, What is the Law of the Lord? And then follow the words of the Ten Commandments as we heard them this morning. How are these commandments divided into two parts? The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. The second, what duties we owe our neighbor. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? that for the sake of my very salvation, I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in him alone, submit to him with all humility and patience, expect all good from him only, and love, fear, and honor him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures, rather than do the least thing against his will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. So far. And after the sermon, we will sing Psalm 67, the stanzas 1 and 3. Theme for the sermon is, the Lord commands us to live before his face. And we'll see how this first is possible through the revealing of his face Second, requires the seeking of his face. And third, leads to the seeing of his face. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, is it really necessary that we hear the Ten Commandments every Lord's Day? Isn't the law a tad outdated? The law says, you shall have no other gods before me. But do you serve other gods? Do you have idols in your home that you worship or that you need to hide when the elders come over for a home visit? The law says, six days you shall labor but our society has become accustomed to a five-day work week or even less. The law says on the seventh day you shall rest, but we come together for worship on the first day of the week. And who of us has a manservant or a maidservant? And besides all this, the law seems terribly negative. You shall not do this, you shall not do that. And doesn't all of that put a damper on our joy in the Lord to place thankfulness, because that's the section that we are dealing with in the Catechism, how we are to live in thankfulness before the Lord, 
doesn't it put a damper if we put thankfulness in that light? So is this really so necessary? Now, as we talk about the place of the law in the life of a New Testament believer, we do need to keep in mind the changing times and dispensations. The application of the principles of the Ten Commandments isn't the same today as it was 3,000 years ago. And yet, at the same time, we need to remember that what the Old Testament says about the law also applies today. The law is good, wholesome, reviving the soul, making wise the simple, enlightening the eyes, rejoicing the heart. The Lord has given us the law in order that we might be kept within the boundaries of the relationship that he established. Sin is to go outside the boundaries of God's law. And that's why both Old and New Testaments speak of sin as transgression and trespass. Sin puts us in places and situations where we shouldn't be, so that our thoughts are not on the grace of God in Jesus Christ. The Lord has given us the law to ward off conduct on our part, which, if engaged in, will make impossible love to God and love to our neighbor. Keeping God's commandments is living before the face of God by grace alone. And we can only live in a relationship with God and expect His face to shine upon us because Christ has fulfilled the law for us. And so we have already hit the heart of the first commandment as well. Living coram Deo, which means before the face of God, is the overarching ultimate goal of the Christian life. To live before the face of God is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. Now, the literal reading of the first commandment runs as follows. You shall have no other gods before my face. The face identifies a person and reflects the attitude and the sentiments of the person. And in our language, we will use expressions of speech that are based on our face. You might say something like, why you're getting yourself into so much trouble is a no-brainer. Just face it, you're being cheeky. You're being lippy to your mother, and that is irritating me. Stop being so nosy and in my face. Now, what I just said was a little tongue-in-cheek. But what we need to keep in mind is this. Facial expressions can be used 
to convey and communicate the inner feelings of the heart. The Bible has a large number of idiomatic expressions involving the face. A person bowing deeply literally falls with his face to the ground, with his nose touching the ground. And to seek the face is to seek an audience with the Lord God. And if the Lord hides his face, he withdraws his presence and his blessing. After David sinned, he prays, do not cast me from your presence. And literally what he says is, do not cast me away from your face. And the covering of the face, that was a sign of mourning. And to turn away one's face, that was a sign of insulting indifference or contempt. Every Sunday, and we'll hear it again this afternoon, we hear the words of the benediction. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Now at the beginning of the law, God says, you shall have no other gods before my face. The Lord introduces himself and his law after he has delivered his people out of the slavery and oppression of Egypt. After he has revealed his face to them. After he has shown to them who he is and what he wishes his people to be for him. And these are the moorings upon which the law is fastened. The face of God had been revealed to Israel in Egypt. The face of the Lord was toward his people. He saw their affliction and he came to deliver them. God did not hide his face. He did not turn around and ignore them or what was being done to his people. He saw their oppression and he alone would help them. But why does the Lord give his people the law? Why does he say to them, no other gods are to exist in my presence? Well, beloved, the Lord gave his law to his people for their own protection, to guard them against the dangers that threatened their existence. The law would serve as an indication how deeply rooted their thankfulness was to him. Oh, dear ones, are you hearing me? Your God, the Lord, delivered you. He does all things for you. So why then give that honor to someone else? The Lord cements a relationship with you, and he binds you to himself. The Lord has chosen you as his special people. You have passed from slavery to adoption as sons and daughters, and every Lord's Day you hear the voice of God speaking to you. I am the Lord your God who redeems your life. I deliver you from the bondage of sin through the death of Jesus Christ. The God who brought his people out of Egypt, 
he gives you the commandments. Yes, the law is engraved and etched in the gospel. The good news of salvation, that sets the tone for the first commandment. For to be preserved in the grace of God's redemption, to be the recipients of the gospel, you and I have to flee from idolatry. Yes, for the sake of your own salvation, you must avoid and flee all idolatry. God says, you shall have no idols before my face because my face is the revelation of my salvation. Salvation is nowhere else and comes from no one else. Now, as the history of redemption progresses with time, as God moves toward the great day of salvation in Jesus Christ, the command to have no other gods does not diminish, but intensifies. After his revelation at Mount Sinai, God's face shone on his people in the ministry of reconciliation, in the service of the priests, bringing sacrifices and offerings, God's faithfulness and his nearness were guaranteed. God's people could remain in the presence of the Lord through atonement and the forgiveness of their sins. The work of the priests foreshadowed Christ's great sacrifice, and that's why they could send the people home with the blessing of the Lord and say, grace to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. And can you imagine then how it must have hurt the Lord God when his people ignored his grace? When they acted like God did not have the power to forgive them of their sins? I am the Lord your God who delivers you, who saves you, and who gives life to you. You shall have no other gods before my face. Every idol darkens the light of my revelation. And that's the message of Deuteronomy chapter 6 through chapter 11. In the book Deuteronomy, Moses gives instruction to the people of the Lord as they are about to enter into the land of Canaan. And as we know, the Canaanites served many gods. And these idols were a personification of certain powers. And once you had one idol, you really needed the rest of the collection as well. Because every idol had its own job description. The one was to take care of the fertility of the land, the other was to take care of possessions, and another one was responsible for sexuality. But God's people are not to involve themselves in such nonsense. They are called to seek God's face and to live in His presence. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 and following explains that the commandment, you shall have no other gods before my face, first requires undivided love to God. You serve one Lord 
and one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The living God provides for everything you need in all aspects of your existence. Brothers and sisters, God the Lord tolerates no rivals. He claims your heart, your soul, your mind, and he insists on being the only one who controls you. And so the Lord's people must show their love for the Lord by diligently doing what is good and right in his sight. It's chapter 6, verse 18. And this is why they are forbidden to give their sons and daughters in marriage with heathen partners. Chapter 7, verse 4. For that would turn their children from following the Lord to serve other gods. And the first commandment also requires that Israel not only love the Lord, but that they trust the power of the Lord. Chapter 7 continues in verses 17 through 19. You may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Living Coram Deo. They do not need to rely on any others for help. God the Lord will be with them. They can trust in his power and might. The heathen trusted in themselves. And when things got rough and out of hand, they fled to the caves. But there too, they would get stung by the hornets and the wasps. And so God's people, following the first commandment, must trust him in matters of food and drink as well. Chapter 8, verse 17 through 19. You may say to yourself, my power and strength and my, of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is today. And chapter 8 of Deuteronomy brings to light another aspect of the first commandment. To serve the one true God and him alone means not only that we are to love him and to trust him, but we are to know the Lord. And this was the reason why the Lord brought them into the wilderness. Verse 3, the last part, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Knowing the Lord, according to the revelation of his face, his presence, Israel was to honor him 
not thinking that it was because of their own righteousness that they could enter the promised land. Chapter 9, verse 4. And didn't the incident of the golden calf demonstrate how unrighteous Israel acted and worthy of eternal punishment? It's chapter 9, verse 6 and following. So knowing the Lord, they were to fear Him, to stand in awe of Him, and to walk in His ways. Chapter 10, verse 12. And moreover, they were to expect all good from Him alone. Chapter 11, verse 14 to 16 says, Then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and olive oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. You see, brothers and sisters, in those six chapters of Deuteronomy, we find the same aspects that are mentioned in answer 94 and 95 of the Heidelberg Catechism. For the sake of my salvation, negatively, I avoid and flee all idolatry, flee from serving other gods, and positively, that I might rightly know the true God. Deuteronomy 8. Trust in Him alone. Deuteronomy 7 and 8. Submit to Him. Chapter 6. Expect all good from Him only. Chapter 11. Love. Chapter 6 and 11. Fear. Chapter 10. And honor. Chapter 9 with all my heart. Well, if this was required of Israel who stood before the promised land, what do you think is expected of us who are on our way to the promised land of the new earth? We now live under the new covenant enacted on better promises, a new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ, And Jesus is our guarantee that the first commandment can be obeyed. For He, as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, as our great Redeemer, He enables us to live in thankfulness, to live in the glorious liberty of the children of God. And having unity with Christ, we will not be consumed When we come before the face of God, we can be sure that He will not hide His face from us. Yes, God's heavenly face shines on us in granting us satisfaction that is payment for our sins. The first commandment calls us to know God according to the truth, to rely on Him, and to put everything else in subservience to this very thing. And to avoid and flee idolatry is to live out of everything which proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And that means that we need to be familiar with our Bibles. How else will we know Him? 
How else will we seek his face? And that brings us to our second point. Because the Lord commands us to live before his face, and this also requires the seeking of his face. People of God's choice were not allowed to serve the Lord on every high place or under every green tree. They were to seek his face in his holy sanctuary. Israel was to seek the Lord where he was to be found. They were to serve him in his holy presence. And in seeking him, they were to give everything to him. Just as a wife desires nothing more than to see her husband whom she loves because he's always on her mind, so the people of the Lord are to long for being in the presence of the Most High God. But sadly, the people of Israel did not always follow after the Lord. But they ran after Baal and Asherah and Astarte. Incredible, isn't it? But not so fast, brothers and sisters. Let's not deceive ourselves and think sin against the first commandment is an Old Testament error that we have outgrown. Let's not be idle about our own idols. People still rely on and trust in things and people instead of or in addition to the only true God. And let's not forget as well that the, church, that the Lord gave these commands to church people. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, flee from all idolatry. And the Apostle John concludes his first letter, which we paid attention to this morning in some detail. He concludes that letter to believers. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. If you want to stand tall in the redemption Christ has granted you, then you need to guard your life against idols. Because idols get in between you and God. Idolatry is to esteem something or someone to put them on a higher level than intended by God. Scripture says in Habakkuk, whose own strength is their God. Think of the superpowers also in our day, struggling to be on top. It's a pursuit of idols. Job 31 tells us that one can make an idol of his weaponry. And Jesus warns against making an idol of one's money. And the Apostle Paul mentions people who make a god of their stomach. By idolatry, you lift something out of the context of reality and at the same time degrade the Lord. 
Now, we have to understand that idolatry does not mean that you drive God out of your life completely. You may even say that he is number one. But if that is so, do you trust in him for all things in your life? You can idolize vehicles, giving them more attention than the invention deserves. You can idolize people and your own opinions. Idolatry can be in excessive dieting or in overindulging. You can make an idol of your health and pursue all sorts of means to attain good health and let it get totally out of balance. You can make an idol of insurance policies, of your business, thinking that these things will give you security for the future. You can idolize your friends so that you can't function if they aren't with you. So that the moment that they leave you, you have to start texting. You can idolize your cigarettes or liquor. You need them to cope. And if you don't have them, you'll fall apart. You can make an idol of fashion and of the way you look. Brothers and sisters, you can make an idol of almost anything. Idolatry is taking one aspect of life, tearing it out and isolating it from the total picture of God's purpose. We have to be careful that we do not idolize our families. And we have to watch out that we do not idolize an idea or a doctrine, giving it an emphasis that the Bible does not give it. And we even have to watch out that we do not idolize the church or the school, giving them more prominence than intended by God. Idolatry is breaking life into small pieces and experiencing these pieces loose from our relationship to God, separating them from before His face. Idolatry is a matter of having the wrong priorities. And that's the work of the devil. He splits up life, poisoning and destroying our trust in God, casting a shadow on God's countenance. And that's why we are called to avoid and flee from it. Anything that takes a place beside God will eventually take over, jeopardizing salvation by grace in Christ. The Lord your God says, you shall have no other gods before my face. Nothing and no one is to take my place of honor in your life. For I alone am the God who saves you and gives you life. Seek my face and I will fulfill all your needs. And don't even give the impression that you serve other gods. 
And so, brothers and sisters, let us get on our knees and pray to God that we break with all idolatry in whatever form it finds expression in our life. Break with all bad habits for your own salvation's sake. For who wants to trade the power of the living God for the powerlessness of an idol? Let us seek the strength of our life and our fulfillment in what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ because when we are in Him, we can rest assured that we will see His face. That's our last point. Now, maybe you are somewhat confused by this last point. For how does the keeping of the first commandment lead to the seeing of God's face? Don't the scriptures tell us no one will see God and live? Even Moses, the mediator of the old covenant, was not permitted to see the face of the Lord God because he was a sinner. And indeed, the relationship that we have with the Lord on this earth will never be complete or perfect. So who then are we to think that we shall see God? Our knowledge of God is imperfect. And our love for Him is marred by our selfishness. Where is our trust? Do we honor and respect the Lord for who He is? And yet we can say, we will see God. Those who hang on to their idols will see God and die. But a child of God can confidently say, now we see in a mirror as in a mirror, but then we shall see him face to face. We shall see him in Christ. And what an enormous blessing that is. Complete and harmonious union with Christ is coming. And nothing will come in between that relationship. All thoughts and desires that distract us from serving the living God will vanish. Everything will be made right and kept right. That is the perspective that is open to us in the first commandment. Seeking God's face today, we will see him in Christ and we shall live. And do you know something? Well, of course you do. That's why you're here. But let me tell you this in closing. The Bible informs us that we begin to see the face of the Lord when we walk by the Spirit, renewed to do God's will. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, The veil is taken away, we read in 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, keep yourselves from idols. 
and you will experience the uniqueness of the only true God and the glory of his presence. Bring everything before his throne. Trust the living God and you will see his face and live. Amen.